Do you like the work we're doing here at It's All Journalism? For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us continue the conversation about good journalism. Show your support by donating to our Patreon campaign. Go to itsalljournalism.com and follow the link at the top of the page to donate. Our mission is to be a voice for people who don't have a voice and to, you know, tell the stories that don't get told. And so, you know, for better or for worse, we, we came in to work that Wednesday motivated and, and ready to go. And, and I was really proud of the issue that we put out that week. And, um, you know, I, I don't ever want to live that again, but, you know, I have a feeling that we could be in for some equally intense weeks and days. So we're ready to do it. Welcome to It's All Journalism. I'm Michael O'Connell here with another podcast about good journalism and the people who make it. Today via Skype, I'm talking to Rachel LeBrock. She's the editor of the Sacramento News and Review. How are you doing, Rachel? Good to be here. Well, anyway, uh, the reason we're talking is about two projects that uh, you had done over the last year or so at the Sacramento News and Review mm-hmm. that uh, centered on uh, climate change. Yeah, the first project started a little bit over a year ago. Well, it was published a little over a year ago. It was a Letters to the Future project that was spearheaded by our then contributing editor, Melinda Welsh. And she had this idea. It was in advance of the climate change climate conference in Paris that happened in December 2015. And she wanted to in advance of that, of that, look at what the possible outcomes of that conference would be. And she imagined people writing these letters to future generations and saying, like, imagining either a positive outcome or a negative outcome. So the positive outcome being that the that the accord would be signed and the negative outcome being that it wouldn't have been signed and and sort of imagining that outcome in this letter to, you know, future children, grandchildren, nieces and nephews, et cetera. So we reached out to a lot of people locally in Sacramento, people nationwide. Um, we had Bill McKibben and other like notable people, a lot of like authors and just scientists and philosophers. And we did this as a large scale project. So it wasn't just our paper. We offered the story that there was a, uh, we offered our letters up for free for other alternative weeklies and, and invited them to solicit their own letters from local people in the community. And we had it published, I think it was the week of or the week before Thanksgiving is when we started publishing those letters. Okay. And what was the response? How many letters did you get? I can't even tell you how many letters we got. We got dozens and dozens. And we didn't, like in our paper, we didn't run them all in print because we simply didn't have room. So we had, we ran the full spectrum online. There's a special letters to the letters to the future website that we have. I'm not even sure how many like participating alternative weeklies. They all probably solicited, you know, a dozen of their own letters. So it was, it was just, it was basically countless. It was a really great response from people. I know that when I was reaching out to people, um, at first there'd sometimes be a little hesitation, like I don't know what to say, and then, you know, you kind of have a conversation about just how important that accord is, was, and what the the impact could be, whether it was signed or not, and kind of just talking about the effects of climate change and what planet we, we want to li- leave for future generations. And so people would get inspired by that and write these really passionate screeds, you know, looking at the future of the earth. 
So and now, was this an unusual project for you? Have you done things like this before? We have, our paper has done things like this where we collaborate with other newspapers where we take a project and offer the content for free, usually with corresponding artwork, and invite papers to run the story as is if they want or localize it in some way, either by slightly localizing the content or adding a sidebar. This was unusual in that it wasn't a reported story. They were letters that we had that we had gathered from people. So it really gave the other newspapers an opportunity to sort of customize how they wanted to run it. They could pick and choose whichever ones they wanted to include, you know, and add ones of their own. But we have done stuff like this before. There was, um, I think about 10 years ago, before I was at the paper, they did something on the Kyoto Project. We've done covers on poverty and hunger, um, where we've worked with other with other papers. I think this one might have been the largest collaboration that we did, we had probably about 40 papers who ended up participating on the Letters to the Future one. Mm-hmm. So that, that was pretty significant to have that many papers be involved and have it essentially publish all within like the same two to three week period. So why was it, why do you think it was important to involve the other alternative press? Because, you know, the alternative press network, we, we operate on such a smaller scale, you know, than a daily newspaper. Um, But we have these, there are these papers and communities all throughout the U S in, you know, in small cities and in major cities. And it's important to, first of all, to mobilize and share the resources that we have, because we do have such small staffs, especially compared to a daily, Um, our budgets are limited. So to be able to collaborate and offer this in a financial sense is huge for for a paper. I know it's important. It's great for me when somebody when another paper does that, but it was also just getting that message out there in widespread force. And when you essentially are you know blanketing the U.S. with with these stories over a two to three week period, they get noticed. It gets more attention when you see all of these papers picking up the same story or the same variation on it and getting that message out there. And I think in that way, it was pretty successful. Okay. So do you feel that this was a really good way to, you know, being the alternative press, you want want to get information that may may not be out there as part of the discussion as a way for you guys to do that? Yeah. I mean, we have the opportunity, you know, with our paper and with alternative papers throughout the U.S., you know, to provide a different lens, a different type of reporting than the dailies do. I mean, most alternative weeklies, you know, by their very nature, do not do what I would consider straight news reporting. You know, we're not a he said, she said type of reporting where where the goal is to be 100% objective. I mean, we do come in with an agenda of sorts. You know, we have a message that we want to get out there on a story like this, at least. I mean, there's there's obviously other cases where we, we, we must be objective and we are. But in a story about climate change, we all agree that this is one of the most pressing issues, you know, of our generation. And so having being able to mobilize in full force and have voices, and especially I think in this in the case of this story, being able to solicit voices that would normally not have a place to to be heard. So to be able to get people you know, both people who are both well known and people who are just quote unquote everyday citizens, you know, giving them the opportunity to share their thoughts on this made it pretty powerful. And I think that that was one thing that people responded to. And, you know, and, and through the website, we also invited people like after they had read a story in whatever publication they did, they were invited to, you know, log on to the website and write their own letter. And then the other thing with this is at the at the end of the day, you know, before the the climate change talks in Paris, we delivered those letters. We, there was a, a delegate who was who was going to Paris, and we delivered you know hard copies of those letters to to the people who had gathered in Paris. So you know, a little symbolic, but still powerful nonetheless. Okay, and this effort that we're we're talking about right now is something you did in two. 
2015. But now, so that yeah. was 2015, right. and then earlier this year, earlier this fall, election we, season. <laughs> yeah, election season. Essentially, we got the idea to revisit the topic. You know, it was in the middle of, or sort of coming towards the tail end of the very divisive election. And we looked, we were looking at what does the next presidential administration need to do to make good on the Paris Accord? So the Paris Accord, you know, the, the, the accord, the climate change accord was signed in December. And this promise was made, you know, essentially to have efforts to reduce climate change, you know, reducing emissions, et cetera. And, and there's plenty of other things that need to be done that will hopefully still be done. But we, look, we were looking at what does the next president need to do to make good on that climate change accord promise? So to be frank, you know, in mid to late October, when we first decided to go forward with this, you know, we really were leaning towards the assumption that Hillary Clinton would win the election. But we were we were also considering that what would happen if, if Trump won. So I had a reporter who a really good environmental reporter, Alistair Bland, who works out of the Bay Area, and I asked him to write a story, you know, looking at what the next presidential administration would be facing, and then do a list of sort of a like ten things to do, like what ten things to do, you know, after the election, sort of a call to action for both people and politicians. And so he and I talked about the story and you know, we were both in agreement that it would probably lean towards Hillary Clinton winning. And but we we also had the agreement that if something changed, I knew that the story was not going to run until the week after the election. That was the whole point of it. It was going to be, you know, okay, this is the new president. This is what has to be done. So he was going to file the story. He filed the story two or three days, like I think the Friday before the election. And the, I think the Monday I said, you know, are you going to be around on Wednesday after the election <laughs> in case, just in case, you know, just in case something changes. At, although at that point, we both thought it was just such a long shot. But sure enough. So Tuesday night, I was at a friend's house for an election party. And I kept, I started to write an email to him on my phone. And I kept stopping myself throughout the night. I was like, no, no, I'm, you know, I'm kind of jumping the gun here. And then finally, at 11 o'clock that night, he sent me an email and told me that he would give me a rewrite by 9 a.m. that Wednesday morning. And he did. He recast the story, looking at what it meant now that Trump had been elected. And he did a fantastic job of that, for better or for worse. Um, the story had to be revised a couple of times over the next couple of days because Trump or you know was all there was already talk of him looking at some particular people to head the EPA the person at the time you know was somebody who was considered a climate change skeptic it's not the person that he ended up that that he's not talking about now for that position but the person that he's talking about now is also somebody who is who believes that climate change could be a hoax so it definitely just changed the whole scope of the story this story in particular we told other alternative weeklies that it could run any time between november 16th and the inauguration giving them a wider window of time within which to run it that where it's still pretty relevant so far i think we've had about 20 papers pick it up um, I'm hoping that maybe we'll have some more between now and, and uh, mid-January. So, uh, you know, obviously you're going to have to do a rewrite to sort of um, yeah. maybe change yeah. the focus uh, when you have a, a different winner than you, than maybe you had expected. Yeah. But still, I mean, I would imagine the the to-do list is probably pretty much the same. The to-do list was pretty much the same. He did make some small tweaks to it, pretty minor, just kind of within different 
different parts of the list, but that was pretty much stayed mostly the same. But yeah, the 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 piece itself, you know, he he recast the lead and then recast certain parts throughout each section. The gist of the story, you know, what we face, you know, on this planet, that that obviously didn't change, but the here now what the possible outcomes could be if this person is if, now that this person is elected, these are the things that we have to watch out for and the things that could very easily, you know, here's a person who, who has talked about undoing, you know, so much that has been worked for in the last few years. So it, it definitely changed the tone of the story and the focus of it. And we also had to, luckily, you know, we had worked with our art department and we had two potential covers, you know, if Hillary Clinton wins cover and a, if Donald Trump wins cover. And so luckily we were good to go, you know, with, okay, I guess we're going to go with this one instead of the one that we all wanted. But Definitely, this is a story that required some some planning and, and a lot of what ifs. And I'm glad that we, you know, put a lot of pieces into place ahead of time so that on that Wednesday morning, it was just a matter of shuffling around a little bit and, and recasting some things. So uh, can you give me an example of maybe, you know, some of the things that, that were included in there that the, the new president needs to focus on? Looking at reducing admissions, um, you know, harmful emissions, looking at talking, there's talking about fracking, looking at not having fracking as being a way to, you know, to an energy source, looking at subsidies for farms and uh, talking about soil erosion, I'm trying to think of what some of the, I don't have the story in front sure. of me. There's about 10, 10 different things. There was also, and this may not be relevant to most readers, there was also a the writer, you know, as I mentioned, lived in the Bay Area. So he wrote a California-specific side, sidebar that was just about, like, what needs to be done in the California, especially because, you know, there's so much agriculture, you know, and farming here. So, and the state is so big and the climates are so different in the state between North and, northern and southern California. So looking at, like, how northern California, you know, is maybe, you know, sort of clashing with Southern California. There's a lot of like fights over water rights here in California. So looking at just like how we how we deal with water rights. Yeah, just there was a lot. So so people listening to this podcast, they can find this story on your website. They, they could also maybe check with their local um, yeah. Alternative. So if you go to if you go to our website, newsreview.com, you can find the story. If you go to letters to the future.org, you can find the original story and the original art, artwork. And you can also just learn more about the project in general on letters to the future.org. There's an about this project link that explains the origins of the story and it kind of gives some bio biographies of some of the notable writers. And it, it has a place where you can read all of the letters. Um, and then if you, yeah, if you go to our website, there is a, a link to that's it, basically newsreview.com slash Sacramento. Um, you can find the story there. Okay. Uh, wherever you live, if there's an alternative weekly in your community, you can look and see if they published that story. And the website, let me make sure I've got the right website. Well, we can, we can include the link with the, um, the web piece that goes with this. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. To make it easier. So you and I actually, we met in Nashville a couple of years ago. <clears throat> we saw right. each other at, at, in Utah. And at that time, you were a co-editor mm -hmm. um, um, at The Review. Now you're the editor. So how did you, what was your journey to uh, becoming an editor of an alternative newspaper? That's a good question. I had been, I'd actually been working at the daily paper for a long time and in t for about nine years as a features writer. 
And I had a history with the alternative paper in my community. I had worked there before I'd worked at the daily paper. And then in 2008 or 2009, I got laid off part of a big sweeping layoff at the daily paper in my, in my town in Sacramento, probably I think about 200 people were laid off at that time. And I had maintained pretty good relationships with the people with whom I had worked at the news and review previously. I was still friends with some of them. And shortly after I got laid off, I got a phone call from, from Nick Miller, who was the arts editor at the time, and just asked me if I wanted to freelance once I was able to. And I said, yeah, and I did a story or two for them. And then they had somebody leave, somebody had, had moved on to someplace else. And, and then I got a phone call and just said, hey, you, you know, you want to just come back and work here. And, you know, at the time, I had maybe been unemployed for just, you know, like a month or so. And I was like, sure, this is this seems like a good opportunity to just get back into writing. I don't know what path I'm going to be on. But I ended up really liking being back there. And, and from there, it just, you know, kind of worked my way back up, you know, in you get a lot of great opportunities at small papers like that. You know, that's one of the one of the upsides of having such a small newsroom is, you know, everybody kind of gets to do a little bit of everything and you get to prove yourself pretty quickly. So when the opportunity came up, when, when our editor at the time decided that she was going to step down, um, Nick and I, you know, sort of wrote up a proposal that instead of looking outward for a new editor that you know, that we could do the job together because in many ways we kind of felt like we were already doing a huge part of it and that with the right restructuring um, that we could co-manage that job. And so we did do that for, I think he and I were co-editors for three and a half years together. Um, And then in March, he moved on to East Bay Express. So he's the editor there now. So he's about 90 miles, 90 miles away. And then, and then I'm here. So what is it you like about alternative newspapers? Well, it's, you know, working at an alternative newspaper, you get to have a point of view, you get to write things that um, you don't have to subscribe to the, I'm a faceless reporter who doesn't have an opinion, which there's clearly a place for that. And many daily papers do it really well. Um, You can write about the small guy, you can find, you can kind of uncover stories. One of the things that we like to do is, you know, we, we, we look at what the daily paper is doing in our town and, and we say before we don't have the resources or the print space or the time to cover everything that happens in our town, but we look like, we look at what stories are they missing or what story could be told from a different point of view, what elements of this story are missing, what voices are not being heard, what angle has not been explored, what questions aren't being answered. And so those are a lot of the questions that we ask ourselves when we have meetings or when we're just brainstorming stories. One of the stories that we've kind of made a name for ourselves within the last year is taking on the mayor in our town. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mayor, uh, mayor Kevin Johnson, he's now the outgoing mayor. The new mayor will be sworn in next week. But there were a lot of questions about how he was essentially running his his government using Gmail instead of city email to conduct mayoral business, in addition to some other things that he was doing. We asked for those emails to be turned over in the spirit of transparency, and he declined and then threatened to sue us, you know, if we didn't withdraw our request, we had put in, you know, Freedom of Information Act request for those, saying that they had nothing to do with his mayoral business. And so we we persisted and he did end, end up suing us. That lawsuit, I think it started in 2015, the summer of 2015, he sued us. Lawsuit was finally settled in 
July. In fact, actually, we were at the Ann Convention in Austin when we got news that the judge had had ruled in our favor on on that that he would have to turn over the majority of those emails to us. I think there were just there were still some that were redacted because they were uh, protected under client attorney privilege. But for the most part, he had to turn most of them over. And you know, and it did show that he was using Gmail for some of his city business, which, as we all know, is is a, a contentious thing to do. These are interesting times to be a journalist in America. Uh-huh. So what's, what's your take? What was, you know, we talked a little bit about the election. Did, for you, you know, waking up on that Wednesday, did you have, did you feel that you needed to change the direction that you were going or that maybe you needed to to alter the way you did your job? Or is this just more, you know, uh, hey, this is what we got to do? I think it's a little bit of both. I woke up on that morning. First of all, I barely slept. <laughs> like I, a lot I, of people. Yeah, I really, I mean, I, I just felt awful, you know, and, and there's no secret about like how I felt about the election and how I felt about the the outcome. I, I felt devastated. I woke up, I sat there for a few minutes and I thought, I can't go to work. I just feel awful. I'm going to call in sick. And then I was like, okay, that is just BS. You got to get, you you need to get yourself up and, and get to work and do what you do. So I went in. Actually, I went in a little bit late because I wanted to watch Hillary Clinton's concession speech. So I watched that and felt kind of, you know, motivated by her sense of perseverance and, you know, in the face of everything. And I just said, okay, I got to get up and do what I do and, and go into work. And I went in and just for me on a personal level, one of the most amazing things about that day was how every single person on my staff came in to talk to me about what do we do next? What do we need to change about this week's issue? What should we rip up and throw out and replace it with? What are we going to do going forward? We Every single person came in and just, okay, now what? Now what? Now what? And we had just these really, you know, intense, uh, sometimes teary conversations about what our role was. And, you know, we, we kind of got down to brass tacks. We said, okay, you know, we should, we should ditch this story or push it back a week and let's get an essay in about the election. We ended up ditching what are our normal, what we call our news one spread, which is, you know, two full pages of news. We ended up jettisoning that, pushing it back a week in favor of photos from protests that were held over the weekend after the election. You know, there, there was a couple other things that, that we replaced to put something in that was more election or Trump focused. And so you know, it it was devastating, but, you know, I got to work and we all had this sense of purpose. And we all, one of my, one of my editors, my assistant editor came in and just said, you know, I'm really glad to be working here. We have a mission. And now that mission is even clearer than, than it was before. We're here to, you know, be a voice for people to expose wrongdoing, to, you know, kind of show the light when we can and uncover the darkness when we can. And it can kind of sound highfalutin, but that's how we felt. And that that is, you know, our mission is to be a voice for people who don't have a voice and to, you know, tell the stories that don't get told. And so, you know, for better or for worse, we we came into work that Wednesday motivated and and ready to go. And, And I was really proud of the issue that we put out that week. And you know, I, I don't ever want to live that again, but, you know, I have a feeling that we could be in for some equally intense weeks and days. So we're ready to do it. Yeah. Other journalists I've spoken to have sort of expressed a, a similar thing that, you know, they how they reacted personally, but also how they reacted as, you know, well, this is our job. This yeah. is what we need to do. 
I think part of the creed of the Association of Alternative News Media is speak truth to power. Yeah. Um, that's our mission, and, and that's what we need to do. You know, we're supposed to be journalists. We're supposed to, you know, report the truth and do everything. But, you know, certainly the alternative press has a reputation for having an alternative voice. And as yeah. you said, speaking for people who can't speak. So, you know, on the one hand, really, really unhappy. But on the other hand, you know, we're on mission. This is yeah. what we got to do. Yeah, it's it definitely galvanized us in a way that, you know, I feel like we come to work every day ready to go. But man, on that Wednesday, it just turned into boots on the ground. And this is what we're doing. And we we're, we are here for a reason. And let's go out and do it. And so in that small way, you know, it felt very good, you know, as good as it could feel. I felt very proud and happy to be a part of te- a part of a team, you know, and part of a network, you know, the, the whole, you know, Association of Alternative News Media. We have this huge network at our disposal. You know, we are a part of this where we are part of this mission and we contribute to a greater good. And and so that is also, you know, just very, you, you feel like you're not alone. Like we're all in this together and we can turn to each other for story ideas and stories. And one of the interesting things that happened that week after the election was that all of the, you know, the alternative news media, we have a listserv, you know, an email listserv that we use. And that week, all of the pay, all the editors were sharing the stories that they were going to be doing. Well, this is how we're responding to the election. Here's the story that we're running. Here's what we did to our, how we changed our cover. So it was kind of cool just to see this sort of this in action, how other papers responded to it and getting to share ideas with people and, and commiserate, you know, through this list. So beyond just what we've been talking about, what is, uh, what is the review going to be doing over the next year? Do you have any big projects or, or initiatives? Well, we're going to, we're going to do something around the inauguration. We haven't fully decided, but the week of the inauguration, we'll have some sort of Trump related cover, but, but really going forward, you know, looking at, you know, we don't do a lot of national reporting within our paper. We, it is pretty hyper-local. But looking at how Trump's policies or proposed policies will impact Sacramento and the region, you know, on a real level. So whether we're talking about immigration reform or, you know, minimum wage or the environment, we'll be looking at how those stories take shape in our community and and, and finding those stories. They won't be hard to find for sure and, and reporting on them in that way. I hope that we'll be able to do a little bit of uh, like a broader national outlook as well. But really, the focus is on how will this administration have an impact on the people here in our community? And and what do we need to do? Like, what do we need to report on? What do do we want people to be aware of? How can we potentially help shift the conversation or shift action, you know, on the parts of people? So do do you think that maybe we get a little deeper into the administration and we begin to see climate change policy affected that you you might revisit that? Yeah, we actually have a plan to we we are going to be doing we're going to be beefing up our environmental reporting on both a Sacramento and statewide level. So we do, I am hoping to have with Alistair Bland, that reporter, um, have some environmental stories in at least once or twice a month. Some of those will be stories that we'll that we'll share with other papers in California. That's definitely going to be a bit even bigger focus than what we've had in previous years, um, because I think it's one of the, if not, you know, the most pressing things that that has an impact on absolutely everybody. Well, cool. I, I'm looking forward to, to to reading the stuff that you guys are doing, and seeing where uh, the alt press goes as yeah. we move into this new year. 
thank you, Rachel. This has been great. Thank um, you. I appreciate it. No, no. I, I, great conversation. I, I enjoy talking. Uh, we don't talk enough about co- climate change on the podcast, and I always like talking to editors who are doing really kind of innovative and and and, and sort of, you know, let's all, let's all solve this problem together type of uh, uh, work. Well, that's one of the strengths of the alternative news, news media. We're in it together, and, and we can accomplish great things, and we have accomplished great things to working together. So I'm, I'm really happy to be a part of that. Next time on It's All Journalism. We have our routines. We, we have our ways of doing things. And again, we have our data sets that, that we look at, whether that is, that is crime with us with the dockets or that that's education reporting with in Pennsylvania, the school performance profiles, or there's, there's data sets that we look at and there's things that we look at all the time that we, we use in, in one way. And I really wanted to find different ways of using it. And it really just was a matter of trying to take a step back and recognizing that all this information was there if we could just figure out how to pull it out. And once we did, it's been, I mean, it's been a year's worth of stories at this point. In our next episode, we talked to Joshua Vaughn, a reporter at The Sentinel, a daily paper in Cumberland County, Pennsylvania. Joshua shares how he's using data reporting to inform the work he's doing covering the crime beat. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about digital media. Find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Podcast One. This week's episode was edited by Nicola Grisco. Amber Healy provided our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music, and I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Hey, I've written a book. You can order copies of Turn Up the Volume, a Down and Dirty Guide to Podcasting on our website. Visit itsalljournalism.com and follow the link at the top of the page. Isn't it time you started your podcast? Do you like the work that we're doing here at It's All Journalism? Now you can show your support on our Patreon page. Follow the link at the top of our website and donate. For as little as a dollar a month, you can access exclusive content and receive updates about upcoming episodes. Donate a little bit more and we'll send you cool swag like our It's All Journalism mug or a signed copy of my podcasting book. There are even opportunities for you to submit ideas for future shows or even appear on an episode. Go to itsalljournalism.com and click on the Patreon link to find out more. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening.